Welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Today I'm glad to introduce uh, the first in a series of uh, possibly nine interviews on the subject of uh, artisanal small-scale mining. My guest is uh, Mikhail Daudin. Mikhail is Deputy Director of Mines to Market and an organization known as PACT. He is an expert in due diligence for mineral supply chains in conflict areas. Mikhail manages the Traceability and Due Diligence Program International Supply Chain, which establishes traceability in the upstream mineral chain for cobalt, tin, tantalum, and tungstens in minerals in the Great Lakes District of Africa. Mikhail, welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much, Shila, for having me today. Since you are the first uh, person to speak to me about the subject, I thought we should just you know, start with the basics. What do we mean when we say uh, artisanal small-scale mining, at least from PEC's perspective? Yeah, thanks, Sheila. I think it's a good way to introduce um, this podcast um, and this series to, to have a common understanding of um, what, what we are talking about here. So um, uh, let me start by giving some introduction um, about ASM and how ASM uh, ASM for artisanal and small-scale mining um, is opposed to LSM as large-scale and large-scale mining. So artisanal um, mining um, is more appropriate for small resources that can be accessed usually manually or with some degree of mechanization. And it can be full-time, but also seasonal, um, supplementary or occasional, um, which means that Many ASM miners are, for instance, um, also working in agriculture and alternate both activities depending on the season. Um, ASM is usually, usually a flexible workforce um, characterized as elastic supplies. They can increase very rapidly if the demand is there. Um, and it's also where capital investment for industrial scale mining could not be recouped. Um, and it's important to understand that aspect um, because many mine sites in countries where we work, um, especially in Africa, are not suitable for ALSM uh, because of the deposits, but um, also on, of the geography where these sites are located. Um, moving from artisanal, we reach the small-scale mine um, where there is some degree of mechanization that is considered um, as cost-efficient. Um, it usually has an increased financing and a higher degree of professionalization. And at the end of the chain, we have uh, sort of large-scale mining, um, which is more appropriate for large deposits. Um, this is where large investments are required um, with long startup times, um, sometimes months up to years, um, and it employs fewer people. That's wonderful. I, I find that very helpful to, to separate those two because uh, different issues, uh, environmentally, economically, and otherwise, apply to those different uh, activities. I wonder, uh, Mikhail, I mean, artisanal mining has been part of uh, many uh, countries' uh, mineral development process for centuries. So when you think of uh, artisanal, versus small scale. Which one of those do you associate with, if you wish, historical cultural activities? Um, I, I would say that um, uh, 
um, it can that can be very diverse um, depending on, on the country or the mineral we are talking about. Um, but certainly um, in in many countries in, in the world um, where ASM takes place, you will find both artisanal and small scale uh, mining taking place um, taking place equally in the same areas. If we consider the um, lower level of mechanization or the absence of mechanization for artisanal, um, then um, we could say that it, it is more historic than small scale, um, with the, the small scale bringing some level of mechanization that certainly um, arrived later on um, in, in the supply chain uh, in the time. But um, the both forms are very often coexistent. Uh, that, that's maybe my main point here. Um, that within a mine, even, um, you can find both artisanal and small scale taking place. So today, um, we often refer to uh, ASM as, uh, as one category because um, they will usually face um, the same type of challenges. Um, they will be found in the same areas, in the, in the same geographies, um, and therefore, um, whatever interventions um, or solutions we want to, uh, to bring for the ASM sector, um, they will be usually designed to address. Sure. So, when you think then about uh, the two types of uh, mining, mm, you, you feel that they can cohabit uh, fairly well, or do you tend to see that? there's conflict in the interests of artisanal miners versus the interests of small-scale miners? Um, so I would say for artisanal and small-scale um, mining, both forms um, do cohabit um, very well. And, and, and there is usually um, uh, no, uh, no particular issues uh, or interactions um, between artisanal and small-scale miners. As, as I said, I would consider them as, as belonging to one category. Um, on the opposite side, um, I would say that uh, most of the issues that we can see today in mining uh, would rather be um, between artisanal and small-scale miners on the one side and large-scale uh, miners on the other. Right, so the line of divide in terms of that conflict is, is between large-scale and the other two categories. So. Um, when one listens to conversations, uh, Mikhail, about uh, artisanal uh, small-scale mining, uh, the, the impression one gets is that these are largely developing world challenges or emerging market challenges. Is this correct or do we see similar challenges in, if you wish, the global north? Um, that's an, a very interesting question. Um, maybe I can start uh, by giving two numbers which are i think important to um, to answer your question um, because we need to understand the importance of asm in today's global economy disregarding where asm takes place in the first place um, so only 10 percent of the global mineral production um, comes from asm and the rest the 90 percent uh, rests will come from lsm um, but we see that 90% of the global mining workforce are artisanal and small-scale miners. Um, and that shows that ASM is, is very key for livelihoods um, of local communities. And we could say, in other words, that the ASM um, represent the world's hidden suppliers. 
because um, even though ASM um, mostly take place in countries of the global south, um, they are supplying key minerals used in um, everyday objects, metals, jewelry, construction, inputs, and so on. Um, we, we see that they are present in more than 70 countries. Um, they, um, they are nearly 45 million people um, uh, working in ASM, 30% women, um, and they produce um, many minerals that we use uh, today. I can give some statistics, I think, that are um, quite illustrative. Um, 15 to 25% of all gold is produced by ASM, um, around 10% of uh, global cobalt, 80% of colored gemstones, 20% of all diamonds, um, around 30% of all tin, 50% uh, of all tantalum, 25% of all mica. And um, that's why, um, you know, coming back to, to your question, um, I, don't, I don't think um, this is a problem um, of the global south um, because looking at the statistics I mentioned, it is clear that, um, that many, many objects we're using come from ASN. Uh, you know, the phone we are using, the computers, the cars, the batteries, the buildings we live in, or the jewelries we wear. Um, and, and that's why um, addressing issues related to ASM, um, to me, is a responsibility as, uh, of companies based in the global north, um, as well as consumers um, based uh, everywhere in the world. So when we think about, uh, I mean, it's, it's easy for you and I to say the global north, the global south. But if you were to say to the listener, when we look at the world and map it for, if you wish, concentration of artisanal mining activities, do any specific regions of the world uh, come to mind? Yes, of course. Um, and, and, and obviously, um, uh, most of these countries are located in the global south. Um, if I give the example, example of, um, of my organization PACT um, to uh, where we are working at the moment, um, all the countries are uh, mostly in Africa. Um, for instance, the DRC, uh, Burundi, Rwanda, Uganda, um, in Zambia, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, um, other countries are located in, in South America. Uh, we work in Colombia, but there are equally uh, important uh, mining activities um, in, in Peru or Chile. Um, and uh, looking at the Asian continent, um, a lot of ASM takes place, for instance, in Indonesia, uh, Myanmar, India, to name just a few. I wanted to come back to your own organization. Um, so what are the particular issues in the uh, Mines to Markets program that PACT addresses and why? So, um, thanks Jill, for that. Um, the, the Mines to Market um, program, um, which exists for, for more than 15 years now, um, essentially works to make mining safer, formal, more productive, and most importantly, using business smart approaches. 
Um, it, it means that we are taking a long-term and integrated approach to our work um, in the mining sector to link mining to livelihoods, health, and environment, um, while also improving governance um, issues where we are working to strengthen local, regional, national institutions and, um, and their capacity for transparent and responsible management of their resources. Um, I can give um, some concrete examples of, of the type of challenges that we see. Um, very often, um, there is a lack of local capacities um, with ASN. Um, the political instability uh, plays a key role uh, when we look at, at countries um, such as the DRC, which still experiences uh, challenges with regards to the presence of um, non-state armed groups, for instance. Um, the challenge of the, related to the cost of doing good business, um, the market volatility, um, we can see we have seen in the past that ASM miners um, uh, are the first one impacted by market volatility. We've seen the, the uh, economic crisis in 2008. Um, we've seen another crisis in around 2015 uh, when the, the world tin price um, dropped. And most recently with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, which also um, hit artisanal miners. Maybe I, I, I can name one last challenge, uh, an important one. Um, is that um, addressing these challenges remain um, too often um, something done by upstream uh, companies um, where while we don't see um, sufficient engagement and commitment from uh, downstream uh, companies to, uh, to address and help resolving those issues. Yeah. So can we uh, just uh, pause for a minute and talk about that? Because you are in the business. So when you say upstream and downstream, uh, it's clear in your mind what you mean. Can you just explain briefly for the listener what typifies an upstream company and what typifies a downstream company? And if downstream companies came uh, to the party to be part of the solution, what sort of activities do you think would be appropriate to help tackle some of the problems? Um, sure, yeah, I think it's, it's good to define that clearly. So um, what, what we call upstream companies is basically everything that starts from the mine site, um, so at the local level, um, up to um, the smelter level. So that would be the entire supply chain, um, what uh, we would consider or call upstream. Um, and um, so it will include local miners, mining, local mining cooperatives, and local companies who are um, processing and then exporting um, ores to, um, to uh, international smelters. While on the opposite, um, the downstream sector will be um, the, the end users, so manufacturers um, of various products just such as um, cell phones, displays, cars, and so on. And um, the reason why there is a clear difference um, is because uh, the smelter level represents a choke point in the supply chain, um, where after that point, um, it will not be possible anymore to, um, to understand uh, or to, to determine the origin of minerals 
um, since everything will be mixed and melted um, together. Um, and, um, and, and usually um, these minerals undergo a, a, an audit uh, process, um, which, is, uh, which relies on uh, information that has been um, provided or on programs that have been implemented um, to, uh, uh, to show that proper due diligence has been conducted on, on these upstream minerals. Uh, and this is why downstream companies um, too often uh, will rely on this auditing process um, and indirectly benefit uh, from all the work that has been done upstream without participating and, and um, supporting the costs uh, for those interventions upstream. Hmm. So when, when I think of uh, downstream, then I think of uh, manufacturing of goods and retailing. Um, and uh, when I think of uh, the markets, uh, I think of uh, the retailing, which is the retailers and then the consumers. When, when we speak of markets at uh, PACT, are we focusing primarily on the retailers and uh, the manufacturers, or are we also focusing on the actual individual that consumes the product? Um, at PACT, in our Mindsome Market program, we actually focus on the producers. So um, here, the point of uh, when we talk about minds to market and what we want to address um, is um, what we want to enable is giving artisanal and small-scale miners in particular access to market um, because if we want to um, to help these miners um, considering that you know minerals is per se not sustainable uh, mining is per se not sustainable minerals are finite and that's why um, local communities asm communities have a one-time chance to uh, benefit from those resources and they should do so in a safe and formal environment and that's that's our mandate with um, with pact um, to help these miners to uh, to, to be able to work in a, in a safe and formal uh, environment while having access to the market. And, and that's, um, that's about uh, implementing uh, actions on the ground to give confidence uh, to downstream companies to purchase those minerals. They, uh, can we talk uh, specifically about uh, your uh, program, the uh, program International Supply Chain? Uh, which establishes traceability upstream. Can you be more specific about uh, what establishing traceability upstream entails and why establishing traceability upstream is essential in uh, the ASM space? Yes, of course, um, uh, I'm happy to do so. So, um, PACT has been um, implementing for 10 years now um, what we call the ITSKI program. Um, so this stands for International Tin Supply Chain Initiative, um, which is a program um, designed by the International Tin Association. And um, it's implemented in the Great Lakes region um, and provide an answer to the Dodd-Frank Act, the US Dodd-Frank Act, and in particular Section 1502. 
um, and uh, it implement the recommendation of the um, OECD due diligence guidance for minerals um, from uh, conflict, high risk and conflict affected areas. Um, it's not only about traceability. Um, most of the work that we're doing is about due diligence. Um, and I'll explain that um, in a little bit. So what this program is about, um, it's a partnership of industry, meaning the local miners, the local companies, um, exporters, traders, smelters, uh, government, local government who play a key role, and civil society. Um, to date, um, the, the ITSKI programs cover uh, around 2,000 mines across uh, four countries, the DRC, Burundi, Rwanda, and Uganda. Um, no matter the size or how remote uh, these mines are. Um, and there are around 80,000 miners working at those mines, uh, meaning that maybe an estimated 5 million people are uh, indirectly benefiting from what we're doing. And in a nutshell, um, it's about helping government to establish traceability of minerals. Um, so there is a very important governance piece. Um, state services are um, recording data. And if you would, you would ask, you know, uh, 10 years ago, whether uh, local government had an idea of how many minerals were produced in their, in their mines, in their region, in their country, they had no idea. Um, but today they have reliable statistics, um, which means that they are able to collect legal taxes um, uh, on those minerals. Um, additionally, we transparently report risks based on the OECD um, due diligence guidance. And um, PACT has on the ground teams um, who facilitate uh, multi-stakeholder committee meetings to discuss and agree on how to mitigate those risks. So there is an ongoing monitoring um, an ongoing support and training capacity building of local actors to respond to the risks. And this is what due diligence is about. Um, we help and assist the companies in uh, conducting their own due diligence. And this is what, at the end of the day, um, bring the confidence uh, for, um, for international traders and smelters to, uh, to purchase those minerals. Um, because they will have the, concept, the, the confidence that's, that the minerals have been mined responsibly. Hmm. So, so essentially, the program has two ends. On the ground, it's basically to ensure proper governance and proper systems for establishing the volumes of production, the values of production, and then, of course, the conditions uh, from a human rights perspective. And then on the market end, it gives both the manufacturers and perhaps consumers ultimately the assurance that the goods they are purchasing, uh, the component parts were made from minerals procured under certain governance, environmental, and due diligence uh, standards. Would that be about right, uh, Mikhail? Um, it's about right with maybe one, one um, important um detail uh, to add uh, is that this program is to date um, almost uh, entirely funded by the upstream sector to, to almost 100 um, percent 
Um, and coming back to the point I made earlier, um, that exactly shows that there is an imbalance um, in uh, who bears the cost for mining responsibly. Um, so while the upstream sector is bearing the cost for what we're doing, um, at the end of the day, the downstream sector, the end users uh, and the consumers are indirectly benefiting from that, but they are not, um, not financially supporting uh, this initiative. Mm. So are you engaging the downstream sector to try and get them to be part of not just the value chain, but also the pipeline of issues and, and, and solutions? Because clearly, uh, if the work that you're doing with the support of the upstream players isn't undertaken, the result would be that those downstream would not be able to get the raw materials necessary to produce the goods and run their businesses. So they have a vested interest in ensuring not only that there is supply, but that this supply can stand to scrutiny in terms of, uh, um, you know, the, the laws that are in place, Dodd-Frank Act uh, 1502, et cetera, but also in terms of good governance. So what are we doing to bring them on board? Um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a tricky question. Um, this, is, this is a topic, you know, we've been raising for, for a long time. Um, this is being discussed um, most recently at uh, the OECD forum um, that just uh, took place um, virtually this year um, uh, about uh, the minerals from conflict and affected uh, and high-risk areas. Um, there are some downstream companies who are engaging, um, and, and I'm happy to, to talk uh, to that as well. Um, we have partnerships um, with international traders who are recognizing the need uh, to address those issues, but um, to date, we see too uh, little engagement uh, from downstream companies because there is no, um, well, there, there is no legal requirements. Um, forcing them to do so. And I'm not saying that this would be necessarily the right path, um, the right solution, but um, um, the, the, there, is, um, there is clearly a, a lack of engagement and um, that's where um, regulators or, or uh, governments or the consumers themselves uh, would have the power to, um, uh, to put pressure on, on those companies and to, to become mm. more responsible. So, mm. so uh, uh, let's look at the minerals, it, uh, because as I listen to you, I'm also mindful that, uh, you know, you might have the uh, cobalt or tin association, but when you go downstream, these minerals are used in different industries for different purposes. Uh, in dealing with uh, downstream, could that be part of the problem that you don't have a single composite industry that you can approach and say, uh, you are the downstream version of tin because tin might be used in different uh, industries? Um, certainly, certainly it, it may um, prevent you to know who to, uh, who to talk to. Um, nevertheless, I, I, would, I would say, um, there are initiatives um, based on, on membership who, um, who uh, include um, uh, large numbers of, um, 
of such uh, downstream companies, and and that may be um, one way to uh, to engage more with them or to have you know through um, such initiatives to have a, a, a broader commitment from uh, various companies without going to uh, individual companies themselves. And we we need to also um, of course recognize that a downstream company alone may not be able to um, to address these issues uh, and these challenges uh, alone you know if I, if I take the again the, the example of our work in 3t um, of course downstream company cannot visit uh, hundreds of mines just to verify conditions and to conduct their, their due diligence and that's where the value of a membership program such as Itsuki uh, is clear um, because it is, it is clear, and the OECD guidance recognizes that, um, that challenges and um, uh, adhering to participating in the membership, uh, in the joint industry program uh, based on membership like it's key is the solution to uh, efficiently help and, and assist uh, work on the ground. Hmm. Uh, we have cobalt, we have tin, we have tantalum, we have tungsten. Why these particular minerals at this time? Uh, in the uh, development of global economies? Um, well, on, on the 3T, um, I mean, it's clear that they're part of, um, uh, of Dodd-Frank, uh, now the EU regulations um, and the OECD guidance. So they have been part of the, the scrutiny um, for, for a long time. Um, let's talk maybe about cobalt, which is more recent. Um, the interesting part of, about cobalt is that 80% um, of the world's cobalt comes from one country, the DRC. And from those 80%, around 20% comes from ASM. And that's, that gives a, a clear opportunity to um, address key challenges for the world's uh, economy. Um, because of, of the, the uh, very important size of, uh, of ASM cobalt uh, in, um, in the world. And it shows as well that um, from all the, these tools and devices that we are using um, today, uh, they, they very likely have uh, cobalt, ASM cobalt uh, coming from the DRC in there. That's why um, we, we should look at, um, at ASM cobalt. Hmm. The 20% is quite a lot. Uh, is, is it uh, that the 20% comes from the artisanal or is it coming from the, the small scale? Uh, because I always thought that uh, artisanal small scale mine was associated more with high value, low volume goods. Th this doesn't seem to be the case, is it, Mikhail? Um, no, no, that's not. Um, it's... It's uh, usually um, high, highly labor intense, um, very low tools. So I would say mostly is artisanal. Um, there, there is very little uh, level of mechanization in ASM cobalt um, at the moment. Um, so it's, it's using, using hand tools. Um, and, and, and yes, the, the volume is, is, is significant. We talk about 10 to 12% of the world's uh, cobalt coming from uh, from uh, ASM in the DRC, so that's significant. 
No, that's very significant. But it also suggests a, a, a level of skill on the part of the artisanal uh, miners because one often doesn't think of it that way because clearly they are able to recognize the rock type, they're able to recognize the mineral, they're able to extract the substance and create a concentrate. This is fairly uh, skilled, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Um, and and I, th I think that's something that is very, um, or too often, um, not taken into account um, that, you know, ASM miners have a very precise um, knowledge of, um, of some of the deposits um, in, in the area where they, will, they are working. Um, but that also means that because they are using um, hand tools, um, they will often in the, in the cobalt um, sector uh, in particular, um, they, that will lead to uh, miners digging very deeply uh, to reach the ore um, and to follow uh, the, the vein uh, of the minerals uh, on the ground. And that results in uh, very deep and long tunnels, which, um, which can bring up obvious um, safety risks uh, due to um, risk of collapse or uh, lack of oxygen and, and so on. So that's, that's what we need to address today um, to help these miners to uh, work in a, in, in a safe environment. Hmm. They, uh, you know, we've mentioned uh, three initiatives. The one being the US uh, Dodd-Frank Act and the other being the EU regulations and then the OECD due diligence guidance. I know that in, in Africa specifically uh, is the Africa mining vision and that one of the tenants is artisanal small-scale mining, but that's more a, an aspirational statement rather than uh, detailed processes for uh, overseeing and ensuring governance. Do you know of any specific uh, Africa regional intervention that enforces guidance or regulations to the same level as these three initiatives from the United States uh, and Europe? Yes, um, and, and I think that's a, a great example to name. Um, let's remain in, in the DRC and, and exactly in the cobalt sector. Um, the DRC government has recognized um, the potential of cobalt for the world's economy and for their country. Um, they are aware of the challenges um, uh, in the cobalt sector, uh, of the reputational risks as well um, for, um, for the country, which may prevent investment uh, from international companies. So they decided um, to take back control of, um, of the ASM cobalt sector. And um, last in 2019, they have released two decrees um, creating a monopoly over uh, ASM cobalt in the DRC. Um, they have created a state-owned enterprise uh, called Entreprise Générale du Cobalt, or EGC. And this company um, has a monopoly over uh, the entire cobalt 
mined by ASM in the DRC. And that's the first step. The second step um, is that EGC um, has now entered into a commercial agreement uh, with international trader Trafigura um, to buy uh, cobalt, uh, ASM cobalt from the DRC, but, but with very important conditions. Um, Trafigura accepted uh, or accept to, to buy these minerals um, if they have been uh, mined uh, responsibly according to their own expectations and standards um, and according to um, other internationally recognized standards such as the OECD guidance. And um, this has been launched at the end of 2020. Um, PACT has been uh, uh, contracted by Trafigura to help both Trafigura and AGC uh, to formalize the ESM cobalt sector in the DRC and, um, and build the capacities of um, miners, cooperatives, state services, EGC on, um, on implementing those standards. Um, and the first concrete step is that um, the EGC responsible mining standard uh, has been developed and that will uh, that will be the, uh, the guiding principle um, what should be implemented to, um, to create the level of confidence for downstream uh, buyers about, the, about these minerals. So it, it is, um, to me, a very important initiative because, um, again, it is not about looking away, uh, but it's engaging directly with artisanal miners and giving them access to markets. So helping miners to become formal, formalized and buying their minerals. Um, so that's, that's to me um, how you build resilient communities on the ground. Hmm. Yes, I did read about this program now that I think about it. And I think it fits very well with the the market story, because of course, Trafigura is also a major commodity trader in South uh, East Asia. And therefore, uh, while they have upstream, they're also in the uh, mid-level trading uh, space. Uh, it, this is probably my last question, albeit uh, not the easiest, but I wanted to just ask you, do you think the COVID-19 experience has added new challenges to the artisanal small-scale mining subsector? And if so, what sort of additional challenges are you now seeing given the pandemic? Um, yes, I mean, um, obviously, um, new challenges um, have uh, arose um, because of COVID-19 um, at various levels. Um, I can name a few examples of what we've seen concretely in, in, the, in the programs that, uh, that we implement on the ground. Um, of course, it has first um, shaken uh, or put the entire global economy to a, a standstill for, um, for a little bit. And um, that obviously has impacted the miners, the artisanal miners who uh, produce the minerals in the first place. So. Um, looking at our, our work on 3T, um, you know, all smelters being shut down for, for um, various weeks um, in, uh, at the international level, 
meant that um, companies have stopped buying for a while and that, uh, that has reduced, um, of course, the level of activities on the ground. It, it has um, exacerbated a little bit um, known challenges that ASM face, such as you know, the financial fragility, um, the lack of economic resilience, uh, because ASM mostly rely on, on daily income and do not have um, okay. a lot or any um, financial uh, plan planning. We've seen school closures um, that has resulted in, in uh, uh, more child labor uh, in some areas. Um, but to end in a positive note, in a more positive note, I do think that it also creates um, an opportunity because it has resulted in some areas in greater awareness of health risks for ASM. And I think um, that can be used as, as a momentum uh, to implement broader health interventions um, for ASM communities. Uh, to help them, you know, um, have better, higher hygiene um, standards at the mine sites and prevent that they, they become affected um, uh, in the future. Going beyond only COVID-19, but looking at uh, general uh, health and, and possible diseases that they may face. That's fantastic. Well, uh, to your point, I think that is a... A good note to end on. Mikhail, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to the Sheila Kama Extracted podcast. No doubt you and I uh, will cross paths again soon, perhaps uh, in uh, Berlin or Washington or for that matter, in Taipei. Thank you very much for your time.